0: Welcome to Women on the Line, a national women's current affairs program produced by women and gender non-conforming people at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Anya Saravanan. Women on the Line acknowledges this program is produced and presented on the sovereign lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge elders, past, present and becoming, as well as the owners of the land you're hearing us from. This week on Women on the Line, we explore how the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting people in immigration detention. First, we listen to a conversation between Max Castle from 3CR Community Radio's Thursday Breakfast and Maru Moravia-Pando, a community organiser working in Seattle, Tacoma, Washington, about the threat of coronavirus outbreaks in US immigration detention centres. After that, I speak to Sumalina, writer, editor, dancer and community organiser currently living in Rundjeri land about what COVID-19 restrictions mean for people in immigration detention in Australia. Here's Max and Maru.
1: My name is Maru Mora Villalpando. I'm a community organiser here in the Seattle, Tacoma, Washington area in the United States.
0: We're talking today about the coronavirus pandemic. So in terms of organising within your community, what are some of the key issues that you're seeing at the moment?
1: Well, I think there's several things that is going on with people like me as immigrants in the United States. Um... You know, I've been in the United States for a really long time, for over 20 years, mainly uh, with no papers. And when I see uh, how people react to this crisis, it reminds me of how our our undocumented community has survived. And we always feel that there's no certainty on what we can do. We can never really plan long term. We know that there's there's going to be an emergency when when immigration customs enforcement talk, uh, knocks at our door and our lives are destroyed. So now that I see people reacting to this this pandemic, uh, it makes me feel that in a way uh, our 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 immigrant community has been prepared for this for a long time. Um, so I feel like our communities don't feel as stressed as other communities. Um, And even like immigrants, we have to flee our countries, mainly sometimes because of emergencies, uh, either because of political or economic um, or natural disasters. So I think in a way we're kind of, you know, used to to uncertainty. And so I feel that we are still not freaking out as much as (laughs) many -hmm. other communities have. Um, And, uh, you know, obviously we don't wish this on anybody. Um, and I think that's why we get so many communities right now overreacting sometimes and panicking. And I think our work is to ensure that, you know, people, first of all, don't panic and they can see the bigger picture of what's going on. And also to take uh, the moment to pause everything literally to make sure that we make long term changes and not just these temporary changes, not only to avoid the the, the virus, but also how do we actually Uh, pause the world to uh, undo all the harm that has been done throughout centuries um, in many communities like mine.
0: And what is being done, if anything, to prevent the outbreak of coronavirus in immigration prisons in your area?
1: Well, the detention centres, as they call them here, um, are known for being dangerous places. Uh, a lot of people have died inside those walls um being under the custody of immigration customs enforcement or um uh, customs border patrol is it's dangerous um uh, just uh, about a week ago, another woman died a young woman from Guatemala died under ice custody um here in the detention center in Tacoma, Washington in twenty uh, eighteen and twenty uh, uh, eighteen and nineteen we saw several outbreaks of um, chickenpox and mumps. Um, there's constant, constant stories of medical neglect. So if the place is already a dangerous place um, that has not only medical neglect and um, outbreaks happening, but also are very, uh, very unsanitary conditions, mm-hmm. it makes us really worry about what's happening with COVID-19. So for example, uh, we know that Throughout the world, people are um, changing their habits, uh, not only washing their hands for longer periods of time, more often, uh, we not only are, are told that, you know, we have to keep distance from each other and not touch our faces, etc. none of those things are possible in a detention center. First of all, in this detention center, we um, are told all the time uh, throughout the six years that we have been working with people detained in the 19 hunger strikes that we have supported of those detained. um, Every time they go on hunger strike, the biggest complaint uh, besides food um, is medical neglect. And then people go into details as to, for example, wearing um, uniforms that are already being worn by somebody else. Um, When they're sent to laundry, they're not washed with soap. Uh, So people end up with a lot of skin rashes. Uh, Underwear is not new. It's actually being worn by somebody else and it's not only worn by somebody else, that you can tell it's, it's, it's dirty. And so um, there are too many unsanitary conditions inside and impossible to have extreme cleanliness um, in, a, in a jail, in a, in a cage. Um, and if you add to that, the fact that these detention centers not hold, they don't hold like 50 people or 40, they hold over hundreds of, and sometimes thousands of people um, so, for example, here, we have talked in the past two days with about thro- four different units within the detention centers. Uh, I believe there's 12 to 15 units. We're in touch with at least four of them. And each of them report to reported to us that each unit is at capacity. So, for example, one unit told us, oh, there's about 50 people here. Another one said there's 100 of us. So even if they're given uh, soap, um, the the way this guy explained it to me, he said, yes, they gave us extra soap, but that's not going to last for 100 people. Mm. Uh, mm. And we cannot have a social distance, as they've been saying in the news. Um, so we are extremely worried that not only the conditions are terrible for this uh, virus to, to uh, expand once it gets there, because people come in and out of the detention centers anyway, the only protocols that Immigration Customs enforcement have set up, is to place uh, flyers in English and then have guards every other day coming in and telling people to wash their hands. And the latest move was to suspend all social visits indefinitely at detention centers. And if you add to that the fact that now even phone calls are not happening and video calls are not happening either, people are having a hard time uh, communicating with their families and with their lawyers. So they're extremely isolated And there's no way if somebody gets this uh, disease that they're actually going to be able to have the medical care they require in in a detention centre.
0: So, Maru, what are you and other advocacy groups led by migrant, imprisoned and undocumented folks calling for in relation to the coronavirus pandemic?
1: Yeah, the first thing we wanted to know was for the local Department of Health to go in and figure out what was happening. And instead they ignore us and brush us off, saying that we were wasting their time. Um, That told us that obviously they don't care about people detained. Then we went to the governor, and the governor just told us uh, more than a week later, um, when we reached out to his office, that they're in communication with um, ICE and with GEO, the corporation that owns and runs the detention center. And they're asking them to follow the guidance, quote unquote guidance, okay, not restrictions. Mm-hmm. They call them guidance of uh, social distance and all of, all of the other items. Um, we also are uh, trying to talk with our congressional delegation um, to make sure that they um, impose not only the release of those that are at risk, eh, and so we have we work with. Uh, legal organizations here to file a lawsuit in behalf of some of our members that are detained. Um, eh, Those that are over 50 with diabetes, um, those that have heart conditions or any other underlying illnesses that that are at risk, we want those to be released first and then we want everybody else released. Um, We also want a moratorium on transfers and deportations and just this on um I'm sorry, Tuesday, uh, thirty three people were deported from here from Tacoma, Washington. Uh we know that Honduras and uh Guatemala, uh, Panama are not taking people, but we know that Mexico is. So um we assume that those thirty three probably end up in Mexico. Uh and if those thirty three were either exposed somehow or carriers of the virus what ice is doing is just helping spread the virus to other countries as well. Uh remember Mexico doesn't have that many cases in comparison to what the mm-hmm. US is going through. Um, and we want uh immigration enforcement to to end altogether. Um just California announced a lot of restrictions in um you know the entire state there's a lot of uh, places that are deciding to to stay put, right? Not be like in quarantine, the entire towns. Yet ICE still uh, is going uh, with business as usual. Uh, They're still detaining people. Um, Here on Friday, they detained a person in our town and they, they took this person to a building that is supposed to be in shutdown for two weeks because there was a case of a person with coronavirus in that building. And there were all the news saying that this building, uh, which is an administrative building in a city called Tuquila, was uh, in, in shutdown for two weeks, starting March 5th. And yet on Friday, this person was taken to that same building that is not supposed to be on operation. So ICE goes about life like nothing has happened. The entire world is almost a standstill, but ICE is not. And not only that, they're requesting even more money right now to set up places uh, to quarantine people while in detention at the border. Um, It's just, they have no shame at all. And and we want to make sure that the congressional delegation um, helps us do all these moratoriums, but we also want our governor to impose the same restrictions that they have imposed in businesses, schools, and normal life they should be also imposed on uh, the detention center. Why is that the detention center is exempt of all these restrictions? It's not like the virus is not gonna cross those walls. Mm. Um, mm. So we, we're we working really hard to make sure that all authorities are doing something. Women's on the line. <laughs> Women on the line. <laughs>
0: On community stations around Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. Don't forget you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. To listen to the rest of that incredible conversation between Max and Maru about the threat of coronavirus outbreaks in US immigration detention centres, you can visit 3CR Community Radio's website on www.3cr.org.au forward slash Thursday breakfast. I now speak with Sumalina about what COVID-19 restrictions mean for people in immigration detention in Australia. My name is Sumalina. I'm
2: a a community organiser who lives on Wurundjeri country, um, also known as Melbourne, and I've been visiting detention centres since 2014 and been working in the refugee rights movement as an ally for seven or eight years now. So I've been regularly visiting the detention centres in Melbourne, Um, so Maribyrnong Detention Centre while it was still running and Broadmeadows. Yeah, so I go there once a week and have a lot of friends who I've known for quite a few years now. Yeah. And so, Melina,
3: what do the new COVID restrictions mean
2: for the people
3: that you have supported so far?
2: Like with any group of incarcerated people, The detainees at the detention centres are really isolated on a good day so they don't have much connection to the outside world outside from the staff who work there and the visitors who come to see them. Since we've been in stage two lockdowns, um, all visits have been banned so we haven't had any um, face-to-face interactions with people, with our friends who are in the detention centres since that time which makes it really hard to kind of maintain those social connections and also just have some sort of semblance to a social life for for the people who are detained in there, yeah.
3: The topic of immigration detention is very much part of the conversation about decarceration in general and that's something that keeps coming up um, in Mm. the last few weeks in particular. So what are your thoughts around this?
2: Yeah, I mean, I absolutely think we need to be decarcerating people in immigration detention all of the time, especially indefinite detention. We know that's against people's hum- basic human rights. We know that the Australian government has come under fire on an international scale a number of times over the years for the policies and the structures they've put in place um, to punish people who are seeking asylum or, you know, simply for asking for help, which is just a abhorrent on any given day. But especially at this time, um, you know, we we all know that the virus coronavirus is a um contagious highly contagious disease so any group of people that are in really high density overpopulated building situations really should like we need to be doing things to address that and we're not seeing that in immigration detention or in any sort of prison system And that's a huge problem. We need to be decarcerating so that these people can be safe and also the staff who work there can be safe. You know, often when we talk about decarceration, people get really stressed about, you know, what does that mean? Are we getting, you know, just letting everybody out into society without any checks and balances in place? And I think um, one thing that I always circle back to personally is that abolition isn't, you know, prison abolition is not an act. It's a process. And so when we talk about decarceration on a broader scale, what we're talking about is putting processes and structures in place to support each other in our community so that we don't need prisons anymore and not just opening the gates. Of course, I think with immigration detention, in a lot of ways, we do really just have to open the gates because lots of these people, you know, are being put in indefinite detention for no reason other than that they came from a really difficult place and had to flee their homes and came from countries that, you know, Australian governments don't particularly like that much. And so, you know, this is a very unjust punishment for what their apparent, you know, yeah, I don't even know if you could call them mistakes were. So I think that's a really important element when we talk about decarceration is that, yeah, it's it's always an act, not, uh, sorry, it's always a process and not an act. In a lot of cases, with the people who are in in detention, in indefinite detention as refugees and asylum seekers, is that we're actually doing a lot more damage by having them in these centres, in these prisons, as with many other prisoners around the world who are being punished for something they've done without there actually being any port to help people through the situation, um, which is just really inhumane in my in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. In terms of uh, abolition and decarceration, I think the other thing also is when we're talking about prisons in times of a pandemic, they're not only highly dangerous but really unethical in the way that they're treating inmates and we're seeing this across the world again, um, in the US and in the UK and here the way that people who are incarcerated are being forced to stay in these environments where they're much more likely to to get this illness and possibly die from it, so I think, yeah, we really need to be highlighting that it's not Absolutely. only dangerous and unsafe but also unethical. Um, and you know, in immigration detention, I mean, it's the whole concept and structure is unethical, but in particular, within the pandemic um, context, this is also very unethical, and I think also. What we're seeing is a lot of exposure of the hypocrisies of the way that immigration detention centres are run. Uh, For example, I was saying at the beginning, all visitors have been banned from visiting the people that they know, the family that they have in detention, but we're not seeing any restrictions on staff. So all of the cleaners, all of the IHMS staff, all of the Border Force, all of the Circo staff, everybody seems to be able to go in and out unchecked. Um, And it's only visitors that have been banned in a way that as if the visitors are the people who are dangerous, but not all of the staff who work there and are paid to be there, which I think is a really interesting implementation of the policies since, uh, I mean, I would argue that the people who visit and voluntarily go into these places probably care quite a bit more for the people who are being detained over the staff. Also, they've banned all of the activities in the centre. So the detainees have to stay in their particular buildings that, that their rooms are in. Um, they're not allowed to go outside and play sport or stretch or go to the gym or anything, which, you know, is kind of similar to the laws that we've we've seen implemented across Australia in general outside communities. But it has an extra heavy exacerbation in the context of a detention centre because there's nothing else to do so it's really taking a toll on people's mental health and self-esteem and also physical health in that they can't leave this tiny cell that they have that that they're usually in and they don't have any visitors they can't go do any activities and so it's really um yeah we're seeing it take quite a toll on the on the people that I know I'm seeing it be really, really hard uh, mm-hmm. so I think that's also something we need to be talking a lot more about the fact that this is happening because we've known for a long time that detention centers are very bad for people, you know, very traumatizing. Um, but I think this extra element to it is, is, is going to further exacerbate those issues, especially when we don't know how long it's going to be going for. I was speaking to a friend earlier um, this evening mm-hmm. and you know, he was just saying to me, like, well, people are saying it might go for four months. And that's so long to not see anybody not be able to do anything, be stuck in this room and not be able to distract yourself from the fact that you're, you know, stuck in immigration detention for no reason at all. So, yeah, we're already seeing it take a really heavy toll and it's only going to get worse. So, yeah, it's a very concerning time. Moment. Definitely. I mean, we know that prison implementation, you know, it's a, it's a privatised practice these days and most of those are intercontinental companies that kind of just go around and, you know, implement their prison structures across the globe in a really disturbing way and, yeah, in a lot of cases we've seen that companies have copied uh, immigration detention centres here in Australia mm-hmm. to then, you know, transfer those policies and structures in other places, so, so yeah, they're they're clearly having lots of um discussions and you know conventions and conferences about the, the most, I guess, cost efficient or demoralising ways to run prisons, which is yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah,
3: and especially in these times, you know, in in lieu of these restrictions, how do you think the fact that people can't protest about immigration detainees' rights, how do you think this will affect the people stuck in detention?
2: Yeah, I think, again, I always come back to this sense of isolation that people feel when they're um, incarcerated, but also generally pandemics like this one show that people who are already isolated become even more isolated, which we're seeing all across society with, you know, elderly people who don't have a lot of family around them or single mums who are struggling to get by we're seeing more and more social isolation that is exacerbated through this pandemic and I think the same is true for people who are in detention or in prison by us not being able to visit anymore you know there's a whole contact a whole outside world being shut off from these people which is um which is a really really concerning issue and yeah in terms of protesting and the ways that communities can vocalize their feelings about immigration detention I think that's another thing that we see kind of through time as well is that one crisis happens on top of another crisis and then we get distracted and there's too many things going on and too many things to focus on and we've struggled to see how they all fit together but I think that's Again, like, I I think the most effective way that we can protest things is seeing how all of these things are linked and putting it in that big picture. Because a lot of the ways that, you know, a government's response being so heavy handed and, you know, the knee jerk reaction to go straight to police is really concerning. And I think we can see that as the government exposing itself in the ways that it is a violent state, as it has been since, you know, the times of terra Australia is built on police on policing and on violence and on punishment. And I think this is just really adds to that list of proof more than anything. Yeah, Yeah. And any crisis is just going to expose those foundations. So I think really what we need to be doing as collectives is maintaining that exposure and highlighting it in times where we do have the capacity to address them. Because I think this is a really important moment where we can take advantage of how the policing is now affecting more people than, you know, at any other time, really. Like, lots of people are losing employment. Lots of people are having to go on Centrelink. Lots of people are experiencing policing and not being able to go out with as many people or have big group gatherings. Like, it's affecting a lot more people than it usually does. And I think now is a very good time to be kind of highlighting that this is the everyday life for lots of minority communities. Mm. Mm.
3: In terms of practical ways of supporting people stuck in immigration detention now that people can't go and see them face to face, do you have any ideas how
2: listeners might be able to do that? Yeah, I think the most important part is just to keep vocalizing how much we, as constituents and as people that the government is supposed to represent, don't agree with the way that people seeking asylum are being treated. And essentially, always reminding politicians and people in power that we haven't forgotten, um, you know, sharing the articles, calling your MPs, leaving comments, always bringing this as part of the conversation because it is such an integral part of our social fabric at this point in time, the way that we treat people seeking asylum. And I think it is really important that we always keep it in our discussions when we talk about politics or governance or equity, um, we need to be talking about these issues as well because politics today is a lot about kind of, you know, the election run and then you, the government kind of doesn't do much and then there's the next election and there's a bunch of promises. So the more that we keep, you know, <laughs> our foot on the gas with this kind of stuff and really always keep it present in the ways that we interact with politics, I think that's really the most effective way that we can that we can engage with this issue at this point in time.
0: And that's all for Women on the Line today. We hope you enjoyed today's episode on how the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting people in immigration detention, both in the US and here in Australia. Women on the Line is a national women's current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women and gender non-conforming broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the community radio network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigre. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from www.3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. See you next time.